0: Good evening, Evie Free. I asked if I can bring up this podium because it like, helps me you know, get in the zone and feel confident, but it's, it's kind of heavy bringing up those stuffs. <laughs> uh, my name is Eddie Park. I am one of the teaching voices on staff, and like our elder Jeff said, happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Uh, like me... Some of you are going to dart to a Father's Day dinner right after the service. Or, unlike me, you guys were smart enough to do your Father's Day thing last night or maybe for lunch or brunch today, and you get to watch Game 7 of the NBA Finals. LeBron James versus Steph Curry. And it doesn't seem like many of you are very excited about that because those people are watching the game right now. Um, but yeah, I, I, uh, it's, it's, it's been a trip. This is my second Father's Day. Uh, my, my son was born last year. He was only three months old on my first Father's Day. So it was kind of like, I didn't know how to really navigate that a little bit. But this year, it, it got really sweet because it's a trip, guys. I get stuff like this now on my, on, my, on my desk. And if you open, I don't know why they gave me a holy Bible. Maybe it's because I'm a pastor or something. But you open it up and it's like, it's like a picture of my, this candid picture of my son and it's just it's like, Happy Father's Day. I love you, Daddy. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Even though I know that he didn't take this picture and he didn't glue this photo onto this construction paper, it's, it's a trip for me to, f- oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm a father now. Um, and and I'm, I've been so motivated recently uh, to want to be a really good, good father. Because I know that on this day, uh, some, of, some of us, it's, it's, it's an odd day. It's actually maybe even an awkward day. It, it says that um, you know, 50% of adolescents in this country have grown up with a father that has abused alcohol, gambling, has physically abused either their mothers or themselves, or totally abandoned a deserted. 50% of adolescents in this country have experienced a father like that. So I've been, I've been so motivated recently to be a really good father. In my previous church, it was a smaller church, I, I would counsel a lot of young men, uh, young men that were in high school, college, and, and post-grad. And, it, and it's interesting, the consistent thing that, that I saw in all these young men as I'm counseling them was this thing called anger. They had this either hot type of atomic bomb type of anger that they couldn't manage or, or, or they struggled with, Or they had this very cold, passive, silent type of anger that they didn't know how to manage and navigate through. And as we're, you know, as we're, you know, I I was like a recent seminary grad, and so I'm like flipping through my notebook, you know. You have like the binder of like counseling, and and I'm just like flipping through like, oh, it's, you know, can you tell me about your father? (laughs) And a lot of it had to do with this strained relationship with their father, and as I'm counseling them, I'm, I, I'm okay, what do, I, what do I do next? What's the next step on my binder? Because I, I don't know what I'm doing, right? I'm, just, I'm, I'm a seminary grad, and I'm like, okay, is there, tell me about the bitterness that, that developed from this anger. And so I was seeing that these young men were developing this bitterness from their anger. And then this bitterness eventually led to this unresolved forgiveness that they, that they were not able to to forgive their fathers. And it's, it's, it's interesting because as, I'm, as I was counseling, as I was, I was talking to these young men, it's not that they didn't know that the right thing to do was to forgive them. They would say, Eddie, I know the right thing to do is to forgive my father or forgive my mother or forgive my brother or forgive my friend. I know, but I don't want to. And I remember they would look at me and say, give me one good reason other than it's the right thing to do. Why should I forgive them? And again, like, dear, dear, you know, caught in the headlights. I was like, looking through my binder, like, what do I say in this situation? <coughs> and that's a really, really important question. Why? Why should we forgive? Other than us culturally and morally knowing that it's the right thing to do. If you've been with us for a few weeks, our church is going through a series called Generosity. We believe that. One of the best words to describe followers of Jesus is this word called generous. We've been going through what it looks like as a church. What does it look like to be generous with our time? What does it look like to be generous with our talents and gifts? Last week, Austin Helm talked about the generosity of God, the Father's heart that lavished his love upon a son. Well, this week... We're going to be talking about generosity in forgiveness. It's a very, very important question. But I feel like we need to, re- we need to really answer. Before, you know, we can all agree that Christians, people who follow Jesus, ought to be generous and forgiving. But again, that the tension might be, Eddie, I know that it's the right thing to do. I know that we should be forgiving people But the tension could be, but why? Why should I forgive? Tonight, we're going to be looking at a passage where Jesus answers a question of how often should we forgive a brother or sister that hurts us, that betrays us, that sins against us? How often should we forgive them? And Jesus not only answers this question with how often, But it gives a powerful image of why we ought to forgive. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be going into the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. If you have your Bibles, your phone apps, your iPads, uh, or if you can just look at the screen, some of the passages will be up there. You know, something I like to do is when when we go through a book of the Bible, I like to give like a few points of context that help us really understand kind of the, the book and I hope it's been helpful for, for you. And one of the things that really stick out is that the gospel of Matthew, the most prominent theme in this book is this thing called the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. The author of Matthew, he, he conveys and depicts that Jesus is a king. He's actually the fulfillment of, the, of, of many, many prophecies of ancient Israel. That he is the fulfillment of the, of the, of the next king of Israel. But the problem was this. The problem was that that people were awaiting a king and thinking that this kingdom would be a geopolitical type of kingdom, a nation. But instead, Jesus, who fulfills the prophecy of this next king of Israel, he describes his kingdom as a spiritual kingdom. Not a city, not a country, not a geopolitical entity, but but a people, this kingdom of heaven is a people that embody these values of peace, reconciliation, restoration, goodness, virtue, and generosity. And the way that he does this is he, in the book of Matthew, you find that there's long discourses. One of them is sermons, and the others are these stories called parables. Parables. And there's this one particular parable that always has stood out to me. It's, it's, it's a weird parable. And again, just like I mentioned in the beginning, it's prompted by one of his disciples saying, Jesus, how often should we forgive our brother when they, when they sinned against us or when they hurt us, when they've wronged us? How often? In chapter 18, if you want to read together, chapter 18, verse 21, Peter, of course, it's always Peter, he comes up to Jesus and says, Lord, how often will my brother, or Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? And he says, up to seven times? It's funny, right? Because he's saying that as if like, that's such a noble thing. If he sins against me seven times, like that's me being good enough, right, Jesus? Like that's impossible. What, what is, what's Jesus' answer? He says, Jesus answered, I tell you, it's not seven times but 77 times. In some other translation, it says seven times 70. And what the point is, Jesus, it's, 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 it's in a hyperbole, right? It's, it's an exaggeration. He says, it's almost infinite. This is scandalous. This is jarring to people that says, what? We're supposed to forgive them that many times? And then Jesus goes into a parable. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like this master And one of his servants owed him a large amount of debt. He says 10,000 talents. If you were to equate that in U.S. dollars, that's about $2.5 billion in debt. Some of you might have $50,000 in debt. Can you imagine the weight of $2.5 billion that you owe? And so what the master says is, if you cannot pay this debt back to me, you have to go to prison and you're going to be a slave. And you know what? Your wife has to become a slave, and your children have to become a slave. And, and as we're being empathetic to this this, this, uh, this servant, can you imagine? Well, you know, a lot of us have debt in this room. Anyone have debt in this room? We have debt. Can you imagine the government, right? You you. You you can't pay back your Stafford or your Perkins loans or your your mortgage. And the bank or the government or your lender knocks at your door and says, "Uh, not only do you need to give up your house, but you're going to become my slave. And your wife's going to be my slave, and your children are going to be my slave. The amount of panic and urgency that, you know, even me as a family man would have, I would do anything. I would beg this master. And this is what the servant does. He begs the master saying, please, please have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And what the, what the master does is uh, the scripture says that he has compassion and pity on him. And he, and he forgives the debt. Now, this is where the story turns sideways. Because this very, very servant who just had $2.5 billion of debt just forgiven and removed... One of his servants owed him, the scripture says, a day's wage. What's a day's wage these days? 200 bucks? Something around there? 100, 200? If you have a good job, maybe 400 bucks, right? 400 bucks at most. And the scripture says, Jesus is telling this parable. It says that this servant, what he did is he strangled and choked this servant. Where's my money? Where's my $400? And he threw him in prison. Now, as a reader, we're already experiencing this irony. This almost over-exaggerated comparison of the debt that's forgiven. And we can already see from this analogy, this comparison, right? I get it. I get it. If we don't forgive, it's like like us being petty and not understanding the weight of forgiveness that God has. "Eh, I get it. I get it. But what is often overlooked is what Jesus says at the end. He gives a very, very powerful image, an almost disturbing negative image of why we ought to forgive. And it says this, In verse 30, Um, in verse 32, I'm sorry. Then the master, the original master that that forgave the debt, he called into the the servant in. You, what did he say? Wicked servant. He said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have mercy? have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you. And it says this, in his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And then Jesus says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. Now, this, is, this passage is what we call, as Bible teachers and scholars, it's a problem passage. It's a problem passage because it, it's almost as if, it's almost as if we think that, that that's, that's what hell's going to be or that's going to be the etern- eternal punishment. But we have to, we have to think that the, the original reader wouldn't have wouldn't have an, a futuristic or, or even a concept of a future eternal damnation of hell in mind. Actually, in the, in the place in Matthew, this is all talking about how God's people, how Jesus' people should treat one another now and moving forward in this life. So it's not something about the future that Jesus can be drawing upon, but it's something in the present what is this, this prison, this torture that he talks about? Well, it's this image, it's this image of prison, an invisible prison that controls us, that traps us. Why, why should we forgive? Well, it's because unforgiveness has power to control all of us. This invisible prison that we're in when we, when we don't forgive one another. We're trapped. It has control over us. Two weeks ago, I had, I had a conversation with my, my father-in-law that blew my mind. I came home late one night. Um, I live with my in-laws, and everyone was asleep. It was like late, late at night, and I'm like trying to go upstairs, and I see that there's like a dim light in our backyard. And so I open it, and I see my father-in-law, and he was sitting with the dim light. He was just staring off into nothingness. He looked very pensive, and I, and I said, hey, what's going on? And then I had this conversation with him. To give you, to give you some background about... About uh, 2001, it's about 15 years ago, my father in law went through something very, very traumatic. He, he went through an incident where these two men, his pastor and his elder, abused him. These people, this pastor and his elder, um, he led, him in, he led him in Bible study. He was saved under these two men. They, they, they were like his father. And what had happened is that my father-in-law felt like there was something that he just didn't agree with, with his pastor and his elder. And what had happened is that they completely cut him off and turned their back. Towards my father-in-law. My father-in-law was extremely hurt. It, it put him in this place of, of depression and it, it, it lost all motivation to work. And what he had told me, this was so powerful because he said, Eddie, I have realized for the past 15 years I've been in prison in my unforgiveness towards them in my anger, in my hatred. It has caused me to become very unhealthy as a person. It's caused me to be unhealthy as a father. It's caused me to be unhealthy as a husband and father and family person, a worker. And I said, what happened? How did you, what did you realize? He's like, I just realized And what had happened was, on a night unlike tonight, he just had realized the prison that he was in. He had realized the bitterness and hatred and anger that caused him to be suffering. And on a night unlike tonight, he said, I don't want to live like that anymore. I don't want to live like that anymore. I wasted 15 years of my life being bitter and angry and it's had so much control over me. It's had so much power over me. And the Lord told him, you need to forgive. You need to forgive those two men. And I had just walked into this night where my father-in-law had just... Processed that and gone through that on a night not too different like tonight. Church, why should we be generous with forgiveness? Well, Jesus gives a very, very powerful image of the prison, of the darkness. Of the torment and torture it is to be unforgiving as a person because it has the power to control all of us in a way that we we don't want maybe some of you are being controlled by bitterness towards your father or one of your parents maybe it's a coworker Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's an ex-spouse. Maybe it's an ex-lover. And the reason why Jesus depicts this image of prison and torment and torture is because he longs for his people to be free from that prison, from that torment, from that torture. The only thing that Jesus wants to have power over us is love. And in the kingdom of heaven, the only thing that has power or only thing that should have power to control us is the love of Christ. And Jesus on that cross when he died, he showed the world that love conquers the grave. Love conquers hate. Love conquers evil. He won the victory of all power, all spiritual, worldly, earthly power. And he won that on the cross through what? through service, and through love. Church, why why should we be generous with forgiveness? Why should we even forgive? It's because Jesus longs for us to be free. Jesus doesn't want us to be controlled and consumed by unforgiveness and bitterness. The only thing Jesus wants us to be controlled by is this love. If you be free, I'm going to lead us into a time of prayer. And very, very simply, on, on like a night like tonight, I want to just pray, pray for you. If you're someone that says, I don't want to live like that anymore. I don't want to be in this prison. I, I, I didn't realize for so many years I was being tortured and tormented in this invisible box that has had so much control over me. I don't want to live like that anymore. If that's you, I'd love to pray for you tonight and see you be free. Can we do that? Let's pray together. If you're someone that has had this anger or this bitterness or unforgiveness with someone and, you would, and you've just heard from, from the Lord tonight and just realized, I don't want to live like that anymore. I don't want to live in this prison. I don't want to live in this, in this torture, torment. If you could just raise your hand, I'd just love to pray and just acknowledge you. As you just lift your hand, I just want to acknowledge you and pray. I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you. Father, I I pray for my friends. Father, I pray for us, Lord, that you would would set us free from this prison, from this torment, this torture of our present reality that has all this power, that has all this control over us, all of us. Father, I, I pray that we are Compelled and motivated to forgive, not just seven times, not just eight times, not just even seventy times, but over and over. That we will be people that are generous in mercy, in grace, and forgiveness. Because you don't want to see people who are trapped, who are consumed. Who are controlled by fear and hatred and anger and bitterness that can go on for a very, very long time and affect a lot, a lot, of, a lot of people. So, Father, I pray that we would see that you're a king that wants to see his people set free free to love, free to bring peace and justice and righteousness and generosity to everywhere we go. And the only way we can do that is if tonight we say, Lord, I don't want to live in this prison. I want to forgive. I want to forgive those who have hurt me. And be free. We thank you for your love, Lord Jesus, for dying on the cross for winning the victory over every human power, earthly, worldly, spiritual power. We thank you for conquering it all. In Jesus' name we pray.